Ralph McGill was the first preacher that I can remember that taught through the art of storytelling. When I was 14, 15, I went to Miracle Mountain Ranch, and that's the place that I spent a lot of my summers and time into adulthood. And Ralph McGill was one of the staff members there that I vividly remember him. The best way to picture him is think of Santa without a beard down to here. I mean, one year he let his mustache go and really curled it, and he had kids just stopping him in the mall, asking him for things for Christmas time. That was Ralph McGill. But Ralph McGill would always just tell these incredible stories from just his childhood to blowing up things in mines to just, he was just a crazy guy. And I remember more of his sermon illustrations than the things he actually preached. But I want to tell you one of a story about Ralph McGill today. One year, Ralph was a big hunter, is a big hunter, and he uh, was on a plane somewhere. And so on the way out of the plane, he was getting his checked bags. And so the guy standing next to him, he noticed that somehow he realized that they both enjoyed hunting. And so they started talking about bow hunting and turkey hunting and stuff and had this great conversation. Ralph's bags come around the conveyor, and he, so he grabs them and he walks away. And as he's walking away, he starts realizing that he that a crowd starts gathering around the guy he was talking to. A bunch of people, people start taking out cameras and asking for autographs and stuff. And he leans over to a guy next to him and he said, what's, what's going on? And the guy said, that's the lead guitar player for Aerosmith. And Ralph had no idea. No idea. But he did know that he said, I really enjoyed my conversation with him about turkey hunting. I don't know what Aerosmith is, but I really enjoyed that. And that's Ralph. But I wonder if you've ever had a chance in your life where somebody with great fame or great renown, you've met them and had no idea about them. You heard the name, you may have heard of the band or whatever, but in real life, if you met them day to day, you would have no idea who they are. It's a pretty common idea on YouTube where Chance the Rapper dresses up as an Uber driver or LeBron James works at a Chipotle or something, and you people come in and have no idea that who they're act- interacting with is this famous star person. We live in this weird age where knowledge and knowing things is so cheap and easily accessible. You guys remember when knowing things used to be difficult? I think that my generation, I believe, really is the last generation that grew up without a phone in our pocket. Like, I remember when I was 18, I was the last person in my friend group because I had to pay for my own phone. And so I remember getting my LG Verizon Chocolate 2 when I was 18 years old paying for it out of my own bank account. I remember signing up for the plan that could make calls, 200 texts a month, and that was it. That was what, oh, it played Snake, too, that game where you eat the apples and grow bigger and bigger. That was what I remember. But do you guys know what happened on June 29, 2007? The first iPhone came out. The first iPhone was released. That year, roughly 1.9 million people were introduced to this device and introduced it to their front right pocket. Now that current number is almost 2 billion iPhone users today. More than 15 years we've been able to Google or search for any answer to any question we might have and find the knowledge that we're looking for. My kids are growing up in a time where they have a music speaker in their house that they can ask, what does a fox say? What, what, tell me a joke. Tell me a story. Alexa, tell me. And they're growing up in an age where I, 
that's baffling to me. But my kids randomly go around and ask Alexa for question, answers to their questions. Knowledge has become so accessible. It's more vast now than in a lifetime. There's more of it than we could comprehend or take in. But I think that when something becomes common or accessible, it often becomes cheap. Its value is lowered. I remember, uh, remember, this was like two months ago. So a couple months ago, uh, my, my family has a lot of allergies. And so when we're out and about, sometimes we're not able to get food and buying snacks to make the kids not be so sad all the time. It's like kind of expensive. And so one thing we do is buy Lara bars. Does anybody like Lara bars? A few people. And uh, Lara bars are good, but they're silly expensive. So stinking expensive. And so we make our kids think that they're candy bars, like they're treats. Like this is a special treat. You're going to get this Lara bar. But one day, a couple months ago, Meyer had this incredible clearance sale where they're discounting one of the flavors. And can I tell you that I walked out of Meyer with over 20 boxes of Lara bars because <laughs> they were a buck a piece. And so now Lara bars, it's like, I don't know, like dirt in my house. We give it to them every morning for breakfast. We think, you happy? Here, you're crying. Here's a Lara bar. You want to play a snowball fight? Here's a Lara bar. Toss it at somebody. Something that had a lot of value just a couple months ago became so accessible to us, so great in wealth of Lara bars, that now its value has diminished. And I think the same kind of concept has happened with knowledge. We have more access to knowledge than ever before. But I wonder if the value of knowledge today, compared to 50 years ago, when salesmen could make their living selling their encyclopedia sets to my grandparents, I wonder what the value of knowledge is today in our current society. For the past five weeks, we've been studying Paul's opening sentence to his readers, going through verses 1 through 14 meticulously. He talked to all of these people, opening this introduction to this long outpouring. He's telling everybody about what God can do for them. The immense blessings in heaven. All the, thing, all the ways that we are united to Jesus. And the blessings that we receive when we're in Christ. And finally, after five weeks, we're moving on to the next set of verses. And so verse 15 through 19 we're looking at today and we see here in verse 15 that Paul naturally, without effort or pause or breath, transitions from an introduction right into prayer over the church in Ephesus. I don't know if you've ever been with somebody that's like that. For me, it's elder saints in our church. We go and talk to them and get coffee or give them a hug after service. And before you know it, they're just praying over you. It's this beautiful, beautiful, amazing thing. And Paul does this. He, he's talking to his people, welcoming them, introducing himself, and all of a sudden you find him in this beautiful prayer for the church. And here for the rest of chapter 1, we get this front row seat to God's hand-picked, Jesus-selected apostle and how he prays for the church. It's just a small side note, but I wonder how how he prays for the church might be modeled or reflected in our life as we pray for each other. Pray for Church on the Rock. Pray for this community. And so what does Paul pray for? I think it's really condensed down to three simple requests or statements. Three desires that he hopes the for the church. 
And it's really these things. It's that we would know God, that we would experience God, and that we would keep hoping in God. Ephesians 1, chapter, 7, chapter 1, verse 17, he says, Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Right now, any question that you have about faith or about God, you can go about a variety of ways of answering. You can pull out your phone and search for that question. You can find Reddit boards and deep dive into the answers. You can pull up podcasts dedicated to apologetics or theology. You can go and find free master classes on the Bible online. You can pull up pretty much any sermon anywhere and listen to it at any given moment. Knowledge is so accessible right now. Amy and I told you we stopped in at a Goodwill, a thrift store in Portland a couple weeks ago. And we were blown away by the vast amount of literature section they had. We spent literally an hour just combing through their book section, looking at all of these different books of faith and theology and taking a bunch home. It's incredible how much knowledge we can attain and how accessible it is in our current culture. You can have as much as you desire, and you can get out of it as much effort as you put in. But there's a problem with all of that. And Jesus has taught about this for a long time, all the way back to the beginning. And so when we talk at Jesus, we look at his ministry here, we look at the people who had knowledge of Jesus, knowledge of the Bible, knowledge of the prophets, we look at how he dealt with them. It was severe. We're going to be going to Mark chapter 12 for just a little bit. And here, Jesus, just to set the scene, Jesus has been teaching in an open space, and people have been bringing questions to him, and the religious leaders come to Jesus, the people that knew the law, people that had to memorize the five books of the Bible by the time they were ten. They knew it deep in their heart. They came to Jesus, and they tried to trap him with their knowledge. And so they give him this really weird, outlandish question, and Jesus' response to them is this, Mark chapter 12 Verse 24 and a little bit of 27. Jesus replied, he says, Your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures. You don't know the power of God. You've made a serious error. See, the Pharisees knew their Bible, though. They knew it forwards and backwards. They had to literally write it down and memorize it, put it on their head. They knew the scripture, but here Jesus is saying, you don't know scripture. What is Jesus getting at? Knowledge in and of itself is just information. It's a resource to be used and manipulated in our life instead of a way of interacting in a deepening, expanding relationship with God. And that really is Jesus' point, that he never wanted to come and just fill our lives with more information and more knowledge. We want to come and give us an idea of knowing who he is, revealing himself to us. John 1 through 4, it says, In the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. And skipping down a few verses to verse 14, it says, The Word became human, made His home among us. So 
he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. God's word is God. God of the universe. God who created life. God who set everything in order. Every system we have in place here on earth is right here within our grasp and touching distance. You know, I bought this Bible, I think, on sale for $8.50. And this is kind of my daily driver. The one I just go to randomly. The one I want to beat up and mark up and take around and throw in my bag with me. The first Bible that I really dived into as a teenager was free. I got it from a youth ministry that was giving Bibles out if you didn't have one. Just a simple paperback NIV Bible. You realize that within touching distance... You not have accessible just knowledge of God, but who he is. That the Bible is given, the very word of God is God. And that you can touch it, that you can feel it, that you can read it, that you can understand who he is. But often we come to the Bible as more of a place just to gain more information instead of knowledge of God. That didn't serve Ralph very well when he was in proximity talking shoulder to shoulder to a guy that was worldwide famous. It was known by thousands of other people. But to Ralph, he was just a guy. Sure, he'd heard of Aerosmith. Sure, he'd heard of a band. To him, he's just a dude that liked the bow hunt. Sometimes it's so easy to fall into a path and to treat our religion like just a well to throw information into. It's so easy to just try to know more about God instead of knowing God. And those are two very, very different concepts. God gave us his word to direct us, to teach us, to lead us. But mostly he gave it to reveal himself to us. A direct and tangible means that we might know him. But again, knowledge in its own is only just for information. So we see Paul's prayer in verse 17. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. James tells us to pair our faith with works, to put it into action. In Philippians 4, Paul calls his readers to practice what they are hearing what he's teaching. And Jesus himself in the Great Commission tells his disciples to go out and teach others to obey. Not what he said. Teach them how to follow me. Teach them how to put what they're learning, the knowledge that they get, into practice, into their life. Don't just fill their heads, fill their heart. And that's Paul's prayer for the church. I love where Mark 12 goes going back to the Pharisees who were trying to trap Jesus. And so after he deals with the crowd and he tells them all, you don't know the scripture, your problem is that you don't really know it. You don't really have it in your heart. One Pharisee comes and asks Jesus this question. Realizing how much the man, oh, sorry. And so one Pharisee comes to Jesus and he asks him this question. He says, Jesus, what, what's the greatest command in all the scripture? What's How do we condense all of this into a practical way that we can live it? And that's where we spent all of February going through the Love You Are series of love God with everything you have. Love with your heart, your mind, your soul, and all the strength you have. Go love God with everything you have. 
The man ponders that and thinks on it, responds back to Jesus, and this is Jesus' response to him. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. I've pondered that for a long time, ever since I've heard that. Of hoping and desiring to be the person in God's house that's not far from his kingdom. I have a deep desire to be in the kingdom of God. To live into it. To experience it, not just to hear about it. If you've ever been in a situation where you heard about the party but didn't get the invite. Or you got the invite and chose to stay home and binge watch Gilmore Girls again. I know that's a real temptation for us. It's okay. But then you really just regretted hearing about all the experiences and the stories or you should have been there kind of situations. You wish you had shown up. We've all been invited into the kingdom of God, into this house of God, into a way of living relationally with him, but sometimes it can stop right here. It never gets down to here. In John 17, 3, Jesus says this. He says, this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, speaking of God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one who sent you to earth. This is the way to have eternal life, to know you. And Dallas Willard says it this way, biblical knowledge is always experiential involvement. When you hear the word knowledge in the Bible, it refers to more than information, but experientially being involved with God. Your knowledge of God should push you forward into an experience with God to know Him better, not just know of Him. But that begs a question that I just want to delve into for just a little bit. With us putting such a high value of knowledge and experience and relationship with God, I wonder who is informing your view of God. Because we all draw on different experiences for the image that we have of God in our mind. A.W. Tozer in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, he says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so I want to do just a quick little experiment. If you would either close your eyes or just kind of look at the floor or ceiling, kind of zone out. And we're going to use something that God gave us, which is our imagination. And just for a second, I want you to imagine God in this room. I want this to be more than just an exercise. I want this to be a real thing to us. So I'm just going to pray. Holy Spirit, come. Would you just begin to inform us, not of what we think we think about you, God, but what we actually believe. So as you're sitting, just pray, Holy Spirit, come. What picture comes to your mind when you imagine God? Is it a person? Is it a feeling? Is it a cloud, flash of lightning? What do you see? You can look back to me. If we went around this room right now and took everybody's response, we would get 
hundreds of different responses of what you saw. Because your personal life and experience of belief is informing your idea of who God is. It's easy to fall into this trap of interacting with who we think God is instilled of who God actually is. It's easy to allow our life experiences, our personal desires, the way we think God should or shouldn't act, the knowledge that we get that's just information, instead of actually being involved with God and coming from God about who God is. Perhaps when you think of God, you see somebody that's just incredibly loving, but has no backbone. Perhaps you see somebody that's willing to just welcome you home again and again and again. The parent that says, I'm going to give you three seconds to obey me. And then restarts the timer when he gets down to three. Perhaps when you closed your eyes, you saw a mean-faced coach daring you to prove to him that you are worth his attention. Perhaps when you close your eyes, you saw the song we just heard, the person that's willing, the, the presence that's willing to just come after you again and again, relentlessly, not allowing any distraction to get in his way. Perhaps when you close your eyes, you saw your earthly parents that influences your thoughts about God. A.W. Tozer again, he says, we tend by the secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. Who is informing your view of God and your knowledge of God? I'm not here to say that any of your guys' particular way that you view God is wrong or bad, but it's worth the time to understand what you think of God. It's worth the time to think, do I see God as a loving father? Do I see God as this hurtful, authoritarian figure? Do I see God as this presence that has no real power or meaning in my earth? He's just there. Paul's prayer for the church was that we would grow in knowledge by the influence of the Holy Spirit. Last week we talked about how you have, if you call on Jesus as Lord and Savior, you have the indwellinger of the Holy Spirit in your life. That moment he came and breathed and restored your soul, that something dead in you came back to life, that your spirit now reflects God, that he blew back into you just like the first man, Adam, life and rejuvenated and regenerated you. If you believe in Lord Jesus Christ as your King and as your Savior and as Messiah, and the Holy Spirit resides in you. And one of his jobs that is he is doing right now is trying to reveal deeper depths of knowledge to you about God's character. Paul talks, if you remember back to the very beginning of this, we talked about apocalypsis, a revelation to Paul. And that's really what Ephesians is. It all came out of Paul sitting and thinking about faith in the church and realizing that he'd been getting it all wrong, realizing that there had been a veil over his head that he had not understood. He had the resources, he had all the prophets, he knew it by heart, but he did not understand the heart of God. And all of a sudden, in a moment, the Holy Spirit ripped that off of his eyes. And revealed a deeper depth to him. This is a really, really stupid example. But if you ever get to a party and you see one of those untouched layers of bean dip. You know what I'm talking about? 
You have no idea, you know it's bean dip, but you have no idea what resides on the surface unless you jump in and start digging through it and start revealing it. I get how silly that example is, but maybe it starts opening this up to you, is that your information can just tell you that's bean dip. There's nothing to it. It's just bean dip. But maybe if you take a chip and jump into it, it's the best bean dip of your whole life. Maybe you realize there's not seven layers, there's 20 layers. Maybe you realize that it's homemade. Maybe you realize that guacamole is fresh. Maybe you realize that whatever. But as you jump into it and go deeper and deeper into it, you begin to experience it more. And God is much better than being deaf. But the same principle applies is that when you jump into this life, Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit comes alive in you. That you allow him to reveal deeper and deeper things of God to you. That you wouldn't just know him, that you would begin by layer by layer to pull back more of who God is. And that God wouldn't just be an idea, a principle, a, a thing you do every week to come to church or to, to spend your time listening mostly to worship music or whatever. But that he would become a real person to you. That you would understand him and his character and his heart for you. And that you would not be misinformed. Tozer says the most important thing about you is what you believe about God. If you believe that you have to earn God's favor or love, you'll never be able to understand grace. If you believe that God only gives you so many chances, you'll always live in fear of messing up. If you believe that God is unlimited and will just turn over and just ignore your sin, then you will have no holy fear or respect or awe for your God. And you'll treat him like your pet. Somebody you can just tell what to do and boss around. The Holy Spirit, one of his functions, one of his jobs is to reveal deeper and deeper to you about who God is. So that you may grow in your knowledge or experience or relationship into who God is. Paul says, he says, I, I pray to the Lord Jesus, God our Father, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight. He's praying that we, the church, would have the apocalypsis moment. That we would have an ending of one world and a revelation so strong, so powerful, that begins a whole new way of life. That we would encounter God, that we would know God in a way that makes us, makes it necessary to rearrange and to change the way we live our daily normal lives. Last week we talked about how we would wrap a sidewalk around a tree. How the people took a tree and they just wrapped the sidewalk and built right around it. What Paul is saying, he's saying that you would experience God in such a way that it disorients your life and reorients it around God. That you wouldn't be able to walk the same way, to do the same things day to day. That you would be, God would be so real to you that your very daily lives would change. And that is just one of the functions of the Holy Spirit that you have inside of you right now. It is the Spirit of God who informs us of God, leads us into deeper depths of relationship with God. If you jump into your Bible and you've read it, maybe you've signed up for one of those read your Bible in a year plans and you, you've mustered your way through it and you got all the way through all the numbers and the weird stories in the old testament and the things you don't understand in the new testament revelation you're just trying to grapple all this stuff and you're like what in the world is going on and you come back to a verse one day 
And you realize all of a sudden, I've read this verse time and time again. I've heard it time and time again. But I've never understood it like I just did. That is a Holy Spirit apocalypsis moment where he's revealing something that you knew, but he's tearing something off of your eyes, tearing something off of your heart that you would understand to a deeper depth who God is. And he desires that for all of us. Paul's prayer is that we'd all move and experience that. It is the Spirit of God whose job is to inform us and to lead us and to lead to deeper revelation of God. Our job is to keep showing up. Our job is to simply be with Him. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus is going by the shore and calling people to be His disciples. He's walking along the shore of Galilee. He sees Simon, his brother Andrew, throwing a net into the water they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to make fish for, pe- for people, of people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little while later after Jesus had left and the apostles are being persecuted and trying to grow the church in Acts 4, John and Peter are taken to jail. They're given a chance to defend themselves, and this is the council's reaction. It says, The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they couldn't see, they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Jesus' role was to come and to make himself accessible to you, to demonstrate what the Israelites knew of God. We know that God is love, we know that God is. God, we know all these things, but Jesus came and put those things into action. And you see ordinary men, ordinary fishers, ordinary people that answered the call of Jesus the very first time in Mark chapter 1, come and follow me, who got up, they followed Jesus. Months and years later, you see them on trial, defending their faith, bullied, bribed, beaten into renouncing Jesus. They stand firm. They share their faith. They speak about it in a public way. And what do the people realize? These are ordinary people. But they recognize they had been with Jesus. We're just ordinary people in this room, friends. We go about our days. We go about our works. We raise kids. We go to our jobs. We come home on the weekends. We show up to church. We are just ordinary people. But if we spend our time showing up again and again and being with Jesus, extraordinary things can come out of that. So how do we be with God? How do we know God? Well, really, it's the same things that we always knew. If we went around this room, most of us right now could probably give clear instructions of how to make our lives better. I would be happier if I went to bed earlier, was off my phone more and in real life more. Stopped eating chocolate cake and ate more vegetables. Got up and exercised daily. Read my Bible. Prayed. If I was kinder, more loving, and less selfish. We know all those things, but there's a reason that those things are coming out in our life. Because information is just information. But knowledge of God, biblical knowledge is when you experience Him. Not just know about Him. Remember a few months ago when we were young and the world was hot instead of being so cold outside? 
And we spent two and a half months going through the story of Abraham. And to save you two and a half months of re-listening or going back to it, the whole two and a half months comes down to this. A man that believed God and a God that revealed himself to a man. The whole story of Abraham is Abraham choosing to believe God, to follow him, to say, go here, do this, sacrifice your son, follow me here, go to this unknown land, leave your family. And a man that did that, believed that, and as he was going, God revealed himself to him. And we saw that from the time of him leaving to the time of him passing away in the very end, that God, over the course of Abraham's lifetime, revealed himself more and more. And Abraham's faith grew and grew. Most of us probably know everything that we're supposed to do. But it can be all summarized in Proverbs 3, 5-8. through 8. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Dan, you can start making your way up. How do I grow my relationship with God? How do I activate this Holy Spirit inside of me to reveal these things? How do I start digging in and getting deeper into the dip and knowing more and more of who God is? Be with him. Show up. Do all the things that aren't exciting, aren't flashy, aren't showy, like getting up in the morning and reading your Bible, spending time on your lunch break praying, going home and turning your phone off and being present with your family. All real-life scenarios that I tell myself to do. All things that I'm trying to practice again and again, over and over, to simply show up and be with God. They realized they were ordinary men, but they had been with Jesus. Read your Bible, do what it says, stay away from evil, and God will lead you to what is next. And that's Paul's prayer that he transitions to the church. I'm praying that you would know God, that you would grow in your knowledge of him. The Holy Spirit would do a work and reveal more and more of who he is. That you wouldn't just know him, that you would experience the great power he has for you in his life. That you would experience his presence. And through, through all the ups and downs of life, you would not lose your hope in him. Remembering that we're called, that he's finished it all, that the battle is won and that we are living into the promised land, an inheritance that he's given us. Don't lose hope. Know God experience God and hope in God. Church on the Rock's mission statement is connecting people to God, people, purpose, and hope. And it's very specific that God is first on that list. The first place in any person's faith walk is to connect to God. Connect to him, get with him, stay with him, and don't leave. Dallas Willard again says the first and most basic thing we can and must do is keep God before our minds. Church, would you just stand with me? I just want to read this, these lyrics over you. The band's going to lead us here in a little bit in worship. The altar is available for prayer team members to come up or go in the back. 
that these are these words. It says, the more I seek you, the more I find you. The more I find you, the more I love you. I want to sit at your feet, drink from the cup in your hand, lay back against you and breathe and feel your heartbeat. This love is so deep. It's more than I can stand. I simply, I melt in your peace. It's overwhelming. The more I seek you, the more I find you, and the more I find you, the more I love you. Would you just extend your hands up right now, church, as we go in, back into a time of worship? But God, right now, Lord, I just pray over this congregation, Father. Lord, I pray that they would experience you. God, I pray right now for false images of who you are, God, that they would begin to be erased and torn down, Father God. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit right now will start revealing, God, inaccuracies in our mind, God, of who you are. God, experiences in our life or thing, false information that we have, God, of who you are, God, I pray those things would be torn down, that they would be replaced, God, with a genuine experience of who you are, Father God. Lord, I pray that this church would continue to grow to people that don't just know about you, God, but who know you, Father God. I pray, God, that we continue to grow as ordinary people, God, who are marked by being with you. Church, I just want to pray Paul's prayer one more time over you before we sing. I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. Right now, we ask God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you supernatural wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he's called as holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. And I also pray that you'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. Amen.